Good morning. <laughs> As I reflect on spiritual practice of friendship, I found myself struggling to identify who are my close friends and why they are friends. Some of you may be like me, you may have, I'm a person who has many acquaintances but very few close friends. Researchers on friendship mention shared experience, mutual understanding and compatibility as the foundation of friendship. When I think about these principles, I realize that shared experience takes on an entire different meaning when you are African American or any person of color, race. The shared experience of living in a racist society builds immediate bonds between persons of color and on the flip side can create a barrier for interracial friendships. With my black friends, the shared experience creates an instant understanding of the reality of facing racism in our day-to-day -day lives. With very few words, I can express myself and know I'm understood. 20 years ago, while walking around Powderhorn Park, I met my closest friend, S.T. Jameson. We also have children of similar ages, but it was our shared experience of growing up in the segregated South and then moving to Minnesota that really cemented our friendship. Like me, ST had grown up in the segregated South. I was from the city of Charlotte, North Carolina, and grew up in public housing. <clears throat> ST, on the other hand, grew up on a plantation in Oxford, Mississippi. He picked cotton on the same plantation as his slave ancestors, and he was cousins with the white plantation owner. We had very different childhoods, but the oppression of racism binds us together. ST understands exactly what I mean when I shake my head and laugh at some ridiculous incident of racism. We laugh often, sometimes just to keep from crying. It was only after I moved to Minnesota 40 years ago that I began to have conversations with race with whites. I have a very clear memory of when I realized the value of engaging in conversations about race with a white colleague. I was at a conference at the University of Minnesota when the topic moved to a discussion about social systems and clients. At the time, I was working in the African American Adoption Program at Hennepin County and I handled the family inquiries for adoptable children. I remember it feeling an overwhelming sense of outrage and suddenly going on a rant about the adoption process. I don't think anyone knew what I was talking about. I don't think I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> uh, at any given time in Minnesota, over 400 children of color are waiting for adoption. These children offer linger in foster care longer than white children, and they frequently are older and part of a sibling group. Families who look at the waiting children's book and then contact me about a child. Time after time, families would often inquire about a female child, and when I looked the child up, I would see that she was part of a sibling group of brothers. I would tell the family that the child had brothers, and the families would say, we know, we just want the little girl. We don't want the boys. Often I would be speechless at the casual way 
prospective families broke up brothers and sisters as they shopped for the perfect child to join their family. One of the men at my table, a young white male professor, smiling, looked me in the eye and calmly offered his observation. You have just described slavery. He said, I was stunned. He was exactly right. I had been sharing my frustration, anger, and outrage with those sitting at my table at the workshop, and I hadn't realized until he spoke why I was so upset. He had been able to name in the truest sense the long-standing devaluing of the African-American family, the ongoing pattern of breaking up families that has been carried out over and over throughout our history. He was exactly right. And I realized that he had seen my anguish and wanted to honor it. He saw, that, saw me as an African-American and acknowledged my experience. I had not been able to name why I was so frustrated with the adoption system, but he had listened and he had the courage to name it for me. I also understood that the family's calling and making the request for certain children had unknowingly internalized the oppression of slavery. In the unexpected conversation with a white male, I felt my reality affirmed. I also realized that this white male could see the legacy of slavery and he wanted to do something about it also. Our outrage at the adoption system was shared. The experience taught me that anyone can understand my tears and frustrations, my struggles and my experience, if I'm willing to open myself to that conversation. Remarkably, the first African-American infant that our project placed over 20 years ago was to a family who are members of this congregation, the First Universalist Church, Mac and Betsy McMillan. And that is how real change can happen. After that day, my colleagues and I were more committed than ever to place families in adoptive homes. My outrage and frustration was, re was replaced by compassion and patience toward adoptive families. Working on ra racial justice requires many encounters like the one I had at the conference. Over the last year, since my family and I, and I have been attending First Universalist, we have experienced many conversations about race and social justice. Conversations we didn't know we would experience and we have been unexpectedly blessed by these encounters. As we move forward in this work in this congregation, I hope to be a part of many more conversations. Come, let us worship together. <laughs>